Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. And we're continuing to walk through the book of Genesis, uh, but we're in a great place in the book of Genesis to um, talk about fathers since it is Father's Day, uh, but we're going to continue to look at the life of Abraham and his family. And, and here's the thing, Abraham, great man. is he wasn't the greatest father figure, so to speak. Uh, And we're going to look at uh, just a a, a portion of his life, a portion of Isaac's life, and then we're going to jump out of Genesis uh, for just a minute. So uh, I'm going to put all the verses up here on screen because we're going to be jumping around a lot. So I'm going to put all the verses up here on screen. Uh, But if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Genesis, and then we're going to jump to Ezekiel chapter 18. But in Genesis, and we've already covered this, but I want to highlight it for a reason. Uh, In Genesis chapter 20, it says, From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Now, this is the exact same thing that he did in Egypt. Uh, He said, you know, Sarah, she's my sister. She's not my wife. Uh, And then the Pharaoh came and and took her. uh, And actually, once everything, God stepped in and everything was resolved. That's how he ended up getting Hagar uh, as a handmaid, right? Not to be confused with the handmaid tales on TV, although it's just as bad. But uh, that's how he got her as a handmaid. Now, at this time, when he does this, um, Hagar is with him, because this is after Egypt, And Hagar has already given birth to Ishmael. And we don't have an exact timeline because it doesn't tell us, but Ishmael is somewhere between 10 and 14 years old. Because in the very next chapter, it starts telling the story about the birth of Isaac. And we know that when Isaac was born, Ishmael was 14 years old. So this is within a few years, could be within a few months before the birth of Isaac. Uh, So it says that, you know, he went and he said, hey, she's my sister. And then the king, Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and he took Sarah. And then the Bible tells us that God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now take note, when God comes to him, God's not defending Abraham. He doesn't say, you're a dead man because you're messing with Abraham and he's my chosen one. He doesn't even say, you're a dead man because you're messing with Sarah through whom, you know, I'm going to birth a nation. He says, you're a dead man because of the woman who you have taken, because she is someone else's wife. God was defending the covenant of marriage. And people get, you know, all down on Christians because we have a godly view of marriage, but this isn't something that we take lightly because it's not something that God took lightly. God stepped in and said, hey, you're violating this institution that I have created. Now, Abimelech responds, he said, he, he hadn't approached her, meaning they hadn't had no children in the room, coitus yet. Uh, he hadn't approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? 
did he not himself say to me, she is my sister, and she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. So Abimelech is like, I had no idea. I didn't know that I was doing wrong against you or violating a marriage covenant or doing anything wrong because they both said, hey, they're brother and sister. Uh, but then God's response is pretty amazing because God said to him in a dream, I know that you have done this and you have done this in the integrity of your heart and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I didn't let you touch her. This is a great theological concept because there are a lot of people who say, you know, how come God doesn't step in uh, and, and stop all these people that are doing bad things and wrong things. And it's because God honors free will. And so the people that willingly choose, I know this is wrong, I'm going to intentionally do wrong, God allows them just like he allows us to execute our free will. But when there are people that are doing wrong and they're like, I don't know that this is wrong, I'm just doing it because, then yeah, God intervenes, whether it be by sending people or through, um, you know, whether it be spiritually, his dream, and through us as Christ followers, through his Holy Spirit. So this is what he does with Abimelech. He intervenes and says, hey, you had no idea this was wrong, but that's why I intervened. That's why I stopped you from already having coitus with her. Now, then he says, God, speaking to Abimelech, return to man's wife. He is a prophet, speaking of Abraham, so he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die you and all who are yours. And the Abimelech comes to Abraham and says, hey, why did you do this? What did you see that you did this thing, meaning you misrepresented your wife and got me in trouble with God? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. So Abraham thought he was doing the right thing. He's like, hey, I don't want to live. Uh, let me just point out, it is never a good thing to, for lack of a better term, pimp out your wife. Okay, Never a good thing. Definitely a sin always going to violate God's law, but Abraham thought he had a good reason for doing this. Now, here's, again, here's, here's the issue that we're going to come into. At this point, Isaac's not even born. As far as we know, Sarah's not even pregnant with him. And can I make another point? At this point, uh, Sarah is somewhere between, when this happened in Egypt, she was 65. And the Pharaoh of Egypt looked at her and said, wow, like, I want her. At this point, uh, since it's somewhere before uh, Isaac was born, uh, she's in her 80s to 90s. Somewhere probably between 84, 85, 86. And Abimelech still looks at her, a king, a ruler still looks at her, says, wow, I want her for my wife. And this just goes to the Testament, because when you look through the verses in the New Testament where it talks about how Sarah made herself beautiful, not with, she didn't have YouTube videos on how to apply makeup, she didn't have mascara and all that stuff, but just the way that she carried herself, and I'm sure she was a very attractive woman, and I'm sure that most women, I'm going to start talking about women looking good, but I'm sure that it wasn't the makeup, and she didn't have a lot of jewelry that made her look attractive to them. It was within herself, right? Now, here's the thing. Isaac wasn't born yet. But somehow, when Isaac is born, whether it be Hagar, whether it be Ishmael, whether it be Abraham, whether it be Sarah, somewhere, someone tells him this story. They say, hey, did you know that this is what your father did? I don't know if it's maybe they're sitting around the campfire, or maybe one night at the dinner table, because when he grows up, we talked a few weeks ago about how he came to marry Rebecca. He does the exact same thing. Because it tells us in Genesis, 
chapter 26, there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. Now, this is likely not the same Abimelech. If it is, he's got to be somewhere in his 60s or 70s. It's likely a different king. And that most theologians believe that title Abimelech is the same as the title Pharaoh. It's, it's, it's a title. It's not necessarily his name. Just as they would, no matter who was Pharaoh, they would name, you know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh. The same with Abimelech. But he went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And then we find out in verse 6, Isaac settled in Gerar. And when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say my wife, thinking lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. He learned either verbally or, or someone told him. Uh, I doubt there was, you know, an Instagram photo of, of, of him pimping out his wife, but he learned, hey, this is what my father did to my mother, so this is what I have to do to my wife. And there is that culture. We're going to back away from Genesis, because when Moses recorded this, I don't think he recorded it so that we could go back and compare what they did. I think he wanted to, us to know what they both did, but there is a, a verse in Deuteronomy that we're going to look at that talks about the sins of the father. And for many of us, we can look at things that our fathers did or our parents did or our few previous generations did and see how that impacted our lives. And there are a lot of people who are celebrating their fathers today because their fathers passed down some great legacies, some great behavior. Uh, here's how you, you know, fish and hunt and do a car or rebuild or how you love your family or how you work to provide for your family. But at the same time, there are a lot of fathers who passed down absolutely nothing either because they weren't there or because they didn't know because they didn't have a good father figure. And what a lot of people walking away, walk away thinking is, well, because my father did this type of thing, then I am bound and I have to do this same type of thing. And are caught up in this cycle that goes from generation to generation to generation and falsely, let me say that again, falsely, they attribute it to a verse in the Bible that they don't understand and they take out of context. Moses is talking to uh, a generation in Israel, and, and let me set this up because it's important. He's talking to a generation that grew up in the desert. Right? He's talking to a generation that the only picture they have had of God was the one that was passed down by their parents. He's talking to a generation that the only exposure they have hold, had to other people and other cultures was what their parents told them God did for them. And he's talking to people whose parents, God said, you're not going to go to the promised land because of the sin that was present in your life. And to those people, to that generation, uh, this is what he says. He says, you shall not make of yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. And he's just reiterating the Ten Commandments that, that we're all familiar with. But then he goes on and he says, and this is what people take out of context. He says, you shall not bow down to those things that you created or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And it doesn't mean jealous of you, it means jealous for you. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love 
to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. And a lot of people go, see, I'm bound to be what my parents were. My parents were bad and, and, and abusive and not good parents. That's what I'm bound to be. Because, and they say, because God took their wrong and made me accountable or responsible for what they did. But that's not what God is saying. Uh, what God is saying is that word visiting. Now, there are some versions that translate that word punishing. But the word visiting means appointing or committing or allowing. And iniquity means, yeah, the guilt, the wrongdoing, some versions say sin. What God is saying, hey, I'm going to create a culture that allows, if your parents do wrong, then, yeah, their consequences of what they did will be felt by the second, the third, and fourth generations. But at the same time, God created that culture because if they are doing good, if they're loving parents, many of us learn to be good parents because we had good parents. Many of us learned how to you know, work hard for a living and provide for your family because we saw that. So God created this culture so that things could be passed down from generation to generation. But the bad things that our parents did or that our fathers didn't do, we're not held accountable for. We're not responsible for. And then Moses even, when he's, the, the book of Deuteronomy is basically just Moses standing around with all the people of Israel reiterating all of the law to them. And Duda means kind of like second. It's the second reading of the law because he's reading it in full to that generation. And a couple of chapters later, here's what he tells them. He says, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. And it's God's way of saying, yeah, there's a culture where if you've had bad and they did bad things, that's going to continue. You'll feel it, but you're not responsible for it, and you can change it. In other words, you don't have to be what your parents were. And that's important because a lot of people think, well, my parents grew up in a church, and they were God-honoring Christians, so I was born by them. I'm a God-honoring Christian. That's not the way it works. That culture, hopefully, that they pass down to spending time in the church, spending time in God's word is there, but you have to make your own decision. And then for those people who said, well, I still don't get it because it still sounds confusing, about 800 years later, God speaks through the prophet Ezekiel and ties it back to the verses in Deuteronomy. When he's speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, he's telling them, and there was a proverb that they used to... Uh, quote, throughout the nation of Israel, the word of the Lord came to me in Ezekiel 18, and this is Ezekiel speaking on behalf of God, what do you mean by repeating this proverb concerning the land of Israel? The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. And basically what they were saying is, hey, our fathers ate sour grapes that were acidy, they didn't take good, and the children were responsible or accountable for that because their teeth came bad because of the sour grapes that the fathers ate. There was a proverb of basically them saying, hey, my father did this wrong, I'm responsible for it. But then God clarifies that, and he says, as I live, declares the Lord God, 
this proverb shall no more be used by you in Israel. And I need to reiterate him saying, as I live. It's not a term that we use. It's not a common term. Most of us, if we were trying to like, say something like that, we would say, as long as I live. But because God is eternal, he can't just say, as long as I live, because he's going to live eternally. So what God says is, as I live, everything I'm about to tell you will be in line with my eternalness. And he says, as I live, all souls are mine, the soul of the Father, as well as the soul of the Son is mine, the soul who sins shall die. And this is important because even the people who reject God, guess whose soul? It's God's. The people that agree with God and love God, their soul is God's. God has an eternal mandate that says, hey, for those that choose to love me and accept me, guess where your soul is going to be? With me, because that's what you want. But for those who reject me and don't even believe in me and refuse to acknowledge me, guess what? He has the eternal responsibility for their soul as well, and it goes to a place that honors their wishes, which is called hell, where you can spend eternity apart from God. And then he gives an example, and he gives it generationally and carries this example out for three generations. He says, if a man is righteous and does what is just and right, now, this man can sue this, for lack of a better term, first generation, you can call him Father A or Father Generation 1 or whatever. And for this uh, generation, not by the number of years, but father, son, grandson. Three generations, three families, however you want to look at it. He says, if a man is righteous and does what is right, and then he gives a bunch of examples of what's right, just in case anyone's confused. And he says, like, walks in my statutes, keeps my rules by acting faithfully. He is righteous. He shall surely live, declares the Lord God. And again, not like God's going to cut up, kill him right and cut him off right when he does something bad, but live as God lives, which is what? Eternally. He'll get to spend eternity with God. If he fathers a son, now this is the second generation. Generation one, that guy walked in line with God, loved God, did what God wanted, obeyed God's statue, said, yeah, I want to spend eternity with you. God said you will. But now that guy has a son, so in the second generation, who is violent, a shedder of blood, who does any of these things, though he himself, meaning the first guy, did none of these things, who even eats upon the mountains and defiles his neighbor's wife. And again, he's giving the examples of things that are wrong. And eats upon the mountains doesn't mean, you know, you're bound to go to hell if you're in the hiking. It's talking about uh, there was the mountains is where they built the uh, altars to false idols. So they would go and worship there. And just like we have food and fellowship as a part of our worship, food and fellowship along with sexual acts were as a part of their worship. And he says, anyone who does these things, again, father, bad. Now he has a son, or the father was good. Now he has a son who's doing all of these wrong things, defiles his neighbor's wife, Lends at interest and takes profit. And there's nothing wrong with lending money at interest, but if you're doing it with the intent of fleecing and, and robbing people or getting rich off the backs of people, God says that's not right. He says he shall not live. He has done all of these abominations. He shall surely die. His blood shall be upon himself. And again, God's not saying the moment he does this bad thing, I'm going to kill him, because if he did, he wouldn't do the rest of the things. He'd be dead. The moment he defiled his neighbor's wife, he wouldn't be able to rob people. He wouldn't be able to, uh, like, take profit off of people. 
But if he chooses to do all these things in opposition to God's will and God's way, then eternally he will die. Die is separation. Death is separation from God. And his blood shall be upon his own head. Because remember, he was raised in a household with a father who did all good things. He turns around and says, well, I'm going to do what I want, which he's free to, but then he has to pay the consequences. Now, if this guy, who is the second generation, fathers a son, now we're at the third generation. And here's the important part. He sees all the sins that his father has done. He sees and doesn't do likewise. That culture and those consequences do pass down. And there are lots of people today who lived in households with abusive fathers, abusive mothers, neglecting parents, or, 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 or homes that were full of alcohol abuse or drug abuse or violence or whatever it is. But God is saying here, we have a choice that we don't have to make that life our life. And that's what this son done. Even, even though he lived in a home where he saw his father doing all of those wrong things, he decides, I'm not going to do likewise. And then he lists out all the things that he does. He doesn't eat upon the mountains or lift up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel. He doesn't defile his neighbor's wife. He doesn't oppress anyone. He exacts no pledge. He commits no robbery. And it's not just that he doesn't do the wrong things. He chooses to do the right things. He gives his bread to the hungry and covers the naked with a garment. And what do you think God's response is going to be to him? God says, when he withholds his hand from inequity, he doesn't take interest. He obeys my rules. He walks in my statutes. He shall not die or be separated from God for his father's iniquity he shall surely live eternally with God. And as for his father, because he practiced extortion, robbed his brother, and did what is not good among his people, he shall die for his iniquity. And God makes it clear. We all have choices. Granted, we're all bound by circumstances of the cultures around us. We're all bound by uh, the laws and policies that the government make. But each and every one of us has the ability to choose, here's what we're going to do. I'm not bound by the sins of my father. I'm not bound by the rules of the government. I'm bound by following and obeying the will of our Lord and Savior. And when we do that, God says, I will honor that. And just to go back really quick, here's, here's what he says. And I just want to put this up in another version. God reiterated every soul, and this is in the message version, every single soul, every man, every woman, every child belongs to me, God says. Every parent and every child alike, you die or you are separated from God or you bear the consequences for your own sin not for anyone else's. Each of us has the opportunity to say, hey, you know what? Here is what life handed me. And we can look at all the memes and we can look at all the, the posts that, that go online saying, you know, here's the way our culture is. But we can decide that we're going to do different and we're going to be different because if we're Christ followers with the Holy Spirit of God in us, we are different. If we have the Holy Spirit of God in us, then we have the ability to say, hey, I'm going to make a different choice. Regardless of what the culture says, regardless of what a political party says, regardless of what my family says, here's what the word of God says, and here's the choice that I'm going to make. So as the band comes up, 
I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And I want to pray first for those people who may say, yeah, you know what, I've, I've been in that home. I've been in that abusive home. I've been in that neglecting home. I've been in that home uh, where parents weren't available. Or I've been in that home where the examples that were shown to me were ones that I don't want to make that mistake. God, we lift up those people to you right now. We pray that your spirit would speak to their hearts and that their eyes and their ears would be open to hear from you. To know that you give them the ability to choose a different path, to choose a different life, to choose to know you, to make you their heavenly father, to do right in the eyes of the Lord. We lift them up to you and pray that they would make that choice today. But God, we also pray for those people who maybe had a father in the home and that father just was abusive or was unattentive and those people that are just seeking a father's love. God, we pray that their eyes and ears would be open to receive your love that you poured out on them through the death, burial, and resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we pray for us that every day, as we're inundated with, with the words and the memes and the, and the social media stuff about the culture, that we would choose not to follow a path that draws us away from you, but a path that draws us closer to you. That we would choose to live our lives in a way that doesn't honor a specific party or a specific principle, but honors the Prince of Peace in everything that we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.